0: Hello and welcome once again to On Mike with Jordan Rich, the podcast that celebrates conversation with creative people who have a lot to say. Today we turn on the magic with one of the best illusionists in the world. Her name is Lynn Dillies, and she's been thrilling audiences, thousands and thousands of people with her eye-defying illusions. As she says, quote, magic has been my vehicle to not only entertain, but inspire lives and make a difference. It's what I was born to do. So let's chat with this amazing lady about her story, her award-winning craft, and her dedication to using magic to make the lives of people better. So I say abracadabra and tap my wand and welcome in the beautiful and talented Lynn Dillies to join us now on Mike. Here we are, and look who just magically appeared. I love magicians because you just pop in whenever. Hi, Lynn.
1: Hi, Jordan. How are you?
0: I'm great. I've heard so much about you. I've sort of become a new uh, devoted fan after learning of the exploits. You are quite the lady, so thanks for joining us today.
1: It is my pleasure.
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're from. You're a New England-born individual, and uh, was there magic in the family, quote-unquote? Anybody doing this before you?
1: My great-grandfather was an amateur magician, Thomas Wyatt, but he passed before I was born, so... You know, maybe it's a genetic kind of a thing. It's it's quite rare that I would end up doing this full-time professionally.
0: So I want to talk to you about your amazing work, but uh, as a child, uh, when and how did you start?
1: I was extremely shy as a young girl. You know, I'd, I'd be the kind of kid who would hide behind my parents when introduced to somebody new, and... Um, Didn't do well, uh, you know, just making friends and bullied and, and all of those things, right? Didn't have a good school experience. But then all of a sudden, when I was 12 years old, it was this terrific TV show called The Magician, starring the late Bill Bixby, who played the part of a magician.
0: I remember it well.
1: Fighting crime with his magic. And it was so intriguing, I had my dad bring me to a local magic shop in New Bedford, Massachusetts, And uh, he bought me some of these small tricks, and I brought them home and was very, very diligent in practicing and wanted to make sure these tricks were perfect before I showed them to anybody. So I brought them to school, and I was doing these tricks for my classmates in in the uh, classroom, lunchroom, school bus, et cetera. Mm. And all of a sudden – my shyness started to disappear.
0: Well, particularly magic if you do it well because everyone is so enthralled and you, you capture them and you got them if you're doing it right as you do. That's so cool. And being a, a young lady, um, and even now we'll talk about what it's like to be a woman in a magician's world. What was that like? Do people say, wait a minute, you're not a magician, you're a girl?
1: Did you, know, you get any of that? I didn't get a whole lot of resistance, and to be perfectly honest, I was so laser focused on my craft and just developing my skills that 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 I lost sight of how unique it was to be pursuing a career in a male dominated profession. It wasn't till I was probably in my early twenties that I realized um, that this was something really, really special that I was doing, uh, trying to you know overcome a lot of the adversity out there that, that some of the other performers were encountering. So um, I had a lot of support from my peers. It wasn't until, though, during I have to say, um, when I was turned down for a uh, TV commercial, being a female magician. That, that's when it really hit me. I uh, said, wow, okay. Yeah, there is, is
0: that glass ceiling yeah. in any profession that has to be broken through. But um, you've been talking about being shy as a youngster. Um, I, I, magic requires, in in my estimation, uh, wonderful ability to communicate and use patter and personality. So was that something that you picked up from from anyone in particular? Did you have mentors in that area or was it— just something that naturally occurred when you got to know your craft.
1: It really naturally occurred. I, I really didn't have any hmm. mentors in my profession to speak of, especially female role models. Uh, the role models were were um, just in my everyday life, you know, uh, hmm. who made a big impact on me. So I think it was just a constant evolvement of all these different elements, you know, developing my onstage personality, along with, um, you know, putting the show together, constructing the show, uh, you know, doing um, a 30-minute show is different than headlining a major theater. So it just, you know, it's, it's taken years to develop.
0: Well, magic has gone so mainstream because of um, television and social media. I mean, we were talking prior to cracking the mics about people like David Blaine and the street magic. That's one element. Penn and Teller have done an amazing job promoting magic all all over, but also the the grand illusionists, which is sort of where you are. You're in the illusion game. Um so let me ask you this. When did you become that illusionist as opposed to just the I must I wouldn't say ordinary magician, there's no such thing, but the the magician who did the standard fair. When did you make that switch?
1: Probably in my early twenties. Mm. That's when I started to add some of these major illusions to the show. Um, prior to that, you know, again, it was just developing my, my skills, doing uh, a whole variety of shows, ranging from birthday parties to scout groups, um, anywhere where I could perform to gain experience. And when I started out, I didn't have a whole lot of money to buy these professional tricks, so I made most of my own. And I tell the story in my show, and I w- put them inside of a cardboard box, walk around my neighborhood. (laughs) I'd ring my neighbor's doorbell and ask if I could do a show in their living room. I'd set up on a little card table, do the routine, and then pack up and move on to the next neighbor's house.
0: That is so cool. And it it reminds me of my business, radio. You start out in the sticks and the tall grass, as we say. Some of us even built our own little radio studios in our homes, playing records. I mean, whatever it might be. Uh, Comics, same thing. You play the the dives so that you can work your way up. Were there uh, rough moments when you were starting out because you weren't in the upper echelon where you are now? I mean, did you have to deal with angry crowds or hecklers and things like that?
1: Not really hecklers, but just extremely difficult setups, you know, maybe uh, two flights of stairs to carry up the props. And, and uh, my mom used to bring me to my performances via the station wagon because I couldn't even drive yet.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
1: she'd help me lug in the cardboard boxes of the tricks. And I had no clue what I was doing. But I thought, well, I guess the logical thing is to line up the tricks on these long tables backstage, you know. And my mom would be back there, and she'd hand me the next trick as I came off stage. And I'd say, oh, did you hear the applause? I really like that one. (laughs) And I'd grab the next trick. And mom
0: was proud as a peacock, I'm sure.
1: Uh, My parents were phenomenal, incredibly supportive.
0: That's great. That, that's so important for those of us who do what we do and love what we do to have had support from our family, our parents, Yeah. because uh, so many people are told, well, go to law school, go to business school, sit in a cubicle. Come on, get, get real, get serious. So the magic has blossomed into a full-blown stage show With illusions galore. I read where you're very uh, adept with elephants for some reason. Elephants and you go back a long way, do they?
1: Yes, we do. It was always (laughs) a dream of mine to work with an elephant. I just adore them. And back in 2000, the Buttonwood Park Zoo in New Bedford was reopening. And I approached the mayor, Mayor Fred Kalis, about the um, possibility of producing an elephant for the grand opening. And he said, that would be spectacular. Let's do it, you know. So um, we, you know, came up with this whole concept of, of when we would, you know, promote this and do it and so forth. And uh, I came up with the illusion to do, but it really bothered me that there were two elephants residing at the zoo, Emily and Ruth, and that I'd only be producing one elephant. So in the middle of this whole endeavor, uh, which took months and months to plan, I had a brainstorm of how I could make the second elephant appear. So what happened was it was a beautiful summer evening. The audience was there. There were hundreds of people. They had no clue what was going to happen. As a matter of fact, they went on a private tour of the zoo. And then they were escorted into this open field. And they were all standing around the stockade fence. And the mayor introduced me. The illusion started to happen. And if you can envision this huge... um, Elaborate setup of of truss, okay? Mm -hmm. And within the truss was this rectangular framework uh, that had four sides of canvas on each side. And it was up above uh, maybe 20 feet in the air. So I unrolled each canvas. It came rolling down to the ground, creating um, a rectangular canvas box. And on my command, the whole thing just lowered to the ground, Mm. revealing the first elephant. And that was the biggest aha moment of my entire career. It was when the audience was screaming and some people were crying because it was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. But we weren't done yet because the first elephant, Emily, walked away. And then I had them raise the canvas box again. And then it lowered immediately and boom, there was the second elephant. Ruth showed showed up. (laughs) Ruth showed up. (laughs) And people went crazy. They're still talking about that.
0: It's so interesting you said all the work that was involved, and I think that's what – I don't want you to give away any secrets. Or You'd have to make me disappear from this interview. The engineering, the science, the meticulous planning to be the professional illusionist, not just the time and effort. It's the money. This is an investment on your part.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. Um, But it really did take months of of training the animals – Mm-hmm. uh working on the engineering uh you know everything involved the the pulleys and my dad and I were out in the back woods um you know working on all these different little things that we could come up with a, as a way to you know facilitate the solution uh working with the animals that that was an amazing experience uh for one thing there Their positive reinforcement was red seedless grapes. They love grapes. So we went through (laughs) hundreds of pounds of grapes. That's so cool. Um, Yeah, and then we had to um, construct kind of a prototype of the illusion in the elephant's barn. And so the trainers would have to work with the animals every single day to get them used to everything. Uh, The music that we used was put on a loop and played for the elephants every day. We also Mm. had other noises, um, you know, The crowds cheering, um, even fireworks going off, so we could desensitize them. This is
0: a variable, right? Because you're dealing with a a creature, a human, not human, (laughs) I almost said human. You're dealing with a living being creature, and anything can happen, even with all the training.
1: Right, exactly. That was the X factor. We never really Mm -hmm. knew, you know, as prepared as we could be. Um, And then, eight years later, I came up with a way to make (laughs) an elephant and a donkey appear.
0: How politically adept you are.
1: That was for my public <laughs> service campaign called Your Vote is Magic.
0: Well, let's talk about that right now. I was going to ask it later, but perfect timing. Using your craft and your performance skills to do more than just entertain, to help people, what is the Your Vote is Magic campaign all about?
1: So back in 08, um it was going to be quite an election between uh, – Senator Barack Obama, and Senator John McCain. And I kept thinking back um, to my dad who loved politics, and I had lost my father a few years earlier to cancer. Mm -hmm. And I knew he would have been so excited about that election coming up. Uh, He ran a lot of political campaigns and taught me about the importance of voting, how important every single person's vote is. So I came up with this premise of this magnificent illusion that I could do that would basically deliver a visual message about the importance of voting with the magic. So I thought, wow, this could be something so powerful. The illusion would be part of um, this whole public service campaign, and I'll call it Your Vote is Magic, because I think that's what my dad really, really mm. believed, mm-hmm. that every person's vote really is magic. So the idea was I had a voter rally at the um, at the zoo, and uh, the finale to it was this illusion where I produced the two live mascots out of thin air and the message to the audience as the animals appeared was that you don't have to be a magician to create change no matter who you choose your vote is magic and boom the animals appeared
0: and that has resonated with people a lot since you even have a dvd that i see on the table here.
1: yes i wrote a book about the whole experience and also incorporating an overview on voting history And then that expanded to a uh, live program that I had been doing for high schools and colleges. Mm -hmm. It was an hour-long presentation of the magic in a PowerPoint just underscoring all these bullet points to the audience um, for kids, you know, just how important their vote is, what it took for us to have this precious right to vote, um, every vote matters, the women's suffrage movement, on and on. And then the magic had this visual presence throughout the program. I'm so sure it, the it kids really, loved it. It really kept them on the edge of right, their seat. Right. you know So it was really powerful. So I had to kind of put that on hold of course during the pandemic and then I produced the video of that program.
0: There's another uh, program called Magic at the, at the Symphony. I wanted to ask you about that. What, what is that all about?
1: Yes, I came up with that concept in 1999 as a way to um, intertwine my magic with classical music. And so we premiered the program in 2000 at Lincoln Center, of all places, mm, in New York City. Impressive. Yes. And so the orchestra is behind us playing this wonderful classical music to accompany the Illusions performed right in front. And it was um, a magnificent program, and it was the kickoff to me being able to do this around the country with different orchestras.
0: Let's talk a little bit about uh, the touring and and audiences and when it started to really Take off. You said you did a lot of this in your twenties. You started to become the illusionist, the lady known for amazing illusions. Um, I'm, I always like to peer behind the curtain. Did you have an agent? Did you do a lot of this legwork yourself to try to get the gigs? Uh, how did how did it all start to coalesce for you, Lynn?
1: It was really a combination of trying to book myself back then, but mm-hmm. um, you know the industry was so different back in, like, say, the um, late 90s, Mm. early 2000s, you know. There were a lot of agents out there. At one point, I had a manager for a while, um, and then some of the agencies would, uh, you know, just kind of um, be in certain genres of what you were doing. You know, I had a manager just promoting the symphony program. Mm. Then I had another one specifically for theaters, another one for corporate work, so a variety. Uh, Some would just, you know, maybe call you one or two, two times a year for a special event, you know, an association was having a lavish evening and then I would be the after dinner entertainment. So it was a combination of it all that really made it work.
0: Always wondered this. Are there magic groupies? In other words, are there people who come to shows because they're just hooked on magic beyond fans of yours? I mean, are they, are they out there like they are with comedians and music and stuff?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. They do pop up.
0: I might fit into that category because I love it, I think. And my particular fondness is for the the humor and the misdirect and and all of the the patter that is so important. Uh, I once met Harry Blackstone Jr., which was a thrill. It was back in the 70s at a radio promotional function or something. And he had that deep, booming, basso, profundo voice. Yes. But the fact was he was so entertaining and so— involving. While he was working his hands, he's working his mouth, and it was just brilliant. So um, that's a skill that I think a lot of people don't have, but when you do, it's pretty magnificent. It,
1: It has to be a finely tuned balance. The magic has to be strong, but the show has to be extremely engaging and entertaining, and we do incorporate a lot of humor into the show as well.
0: Because people... Have seen everything on a YouTube demonstration. Here's how the trick is done, which drives me crazy. Does that impart a lot of pressure on people like you to always one up because you have to stay ahead of the crowd, or what?
1: I've kind of gotten away from that train of thought through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized as I progress in my in my journey as a performer that um, it's really about touching the audience, reaching the audience a lot more than being so worried about elements of that nature.
0: That's actually good to know. That's that's yeah. that's very reassuring because I think there's a connection that you have immediately that forms with people and what's great about magic is the interactive uh, side of it. I assume that's a big part of your show using people from the audience.
1: Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And and right from the get-go I try to break down all those barriers between myself and the audience. You know, and just invite them into the whole experience. And um, just again, try to, try to create this, this positive experience for everybody, you know, whether it's the parents, the grandparents, the kids. I recently did a performance that just reconfirmed why I am doing what I'm doing. Because during one of my meet and greets at a theater, this grandfather came up to me and he just held on to his, my hand. And he had tears in his eyes. And he said, thank you so much for this experience. He brought his granddaughter. He said, she will never forget this, what we shared together.
0: That makes yes. it all worthwhile, doesn't it? so it? beautiful. Oh, I love that story. Yeah. And I, I do believe that it's one of the few art forms where it's multi-generational on the spot. I mean, I've been to shows with, uh, you know, the famous and the less famous and it's almost universally a mixed crowd of people because it's universally human.
1: It is. That's what I love so much about it.
0: Do you ever do uh, close-up and card work and things like that? or do you, know, do you need to do everything or can you specialize as some people do?
1: I dabble in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not my area of expertise. But I, I can do it. But I, I don't um, you know, get into uh, performing close-up professionally for venues and so forth.
0: There are people like Ricky, the late Ricky Jay, who oh. I'm sure you're familiar with, the yes. actor who was a card, just brilliant with cards. And uh, they're in a, in a platform all their own. And then there are others uh, like um, Copperfield, I guess, who's, Spending millions on his illusions <laughs> because he's making millions with his selling crowds. But uh, let's talk a little bit about how you plan a show. I mean, do you do you have a stock show that you work with for six or eight months, or are you constantly fidgeting and changing things and moving things around in the act?
1: I'm very selective these days about what I add into the show mm-hmm. because the um, the theater show that we do, which is about ninety minutes long and extremely fast moving uh, it's really, really well balanced. You know, I, um, don't focus on, on any one particular, um, illusion. Let's just say, for instance, there's only so many things you can do in magic. You can make people disappear, hmm. appear, um, you know, just, um, you know, change one object into another object, um, defy gravity. So I, you know, don't do too many tricks where I'm, I'm doing levitations or making somebody disappear. It's a, it's a well-rounded combination, so I'm really, really picky these days about what I add into the show. I've been working on something for the past um, four or five months that I finally added to the show, which is which is really cool. Um, it involves a puzzle, and it pertains to life, and it's very relatable for people, and that's been going over really well. But when I plan out a show, Jordan, I um, you know I just kind of think in terms of. Number one, the venue, you know, what mm. we could fit into the venue, uh, whether people are expecting, you know, a fast-paced 30-minute show or, you know, the full production, and then we take it from there.
0: You won a very prestigious award. Uh, it's called the Academy Award of Magic through the Society of American Magicians. And when you're feted by people such as some of the names we've mentioned, Penn and Teller and... And the Blackstone, when you're in that same family, is that when Lynn says to herself, when she sits down to relax after a long, hard show, feels good to be in this crowd?
1: It sure does. Yeah. It sure does. I was extremely honored and humbled.
0: Yeah, when when you're accepted and and praised by peers, there's something special about that.
1: It sure is. It's very validating. And uh, the one thing about that particular award um, basically it's because you have contributed something to your craft, and that's why you receive it. And mm-hmm. I believe that I was the first female illusionist to ever receive that award.
0: How many female illusionists or magicians do you connect with? I mean, is there a, um, um, a subset of a, like a book club group of lady magicians who get together and have coffee or champagne? What, what, how, I mean, how, how many are there? There, there
1: aren't a whole lot of us not, yeah. not doing this you know professionally full-time. Mm. Uh, certainly um, no other full-time illusionists that I know of, but there are some terrific female magicians um, that are doing great work. Um, being, they're very successful, and I have a lot of respect for them.
0: The classic standard old-school deal is the magician in the tails and top hat with the beautiful assistant, right? You're a beautiful magician, with maybe a handsome assistant as well as a beautiful assistant. Do you have gentlemen who uh, assist you?
1: I have an all male (laughs) team. I have to say, perfect. I just love it. I love my assistants and uh, my entire crew.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, they're, they're terrific. And and what this is the whole thing about this, you know, picture some of these illusions. They are designed for somebody about my size.
0: And you're, may I say, petite and very svelte and in great shape, but go ahead.
1: So a male assistant has to be able to do these illusions. Mm. And, um, you know, I just I can't thank them enough for <laughs> their dedication to, it, to doing what's necessary to be able to even fit into them.
0: Uh, to me, it's it's so much precision. It's I, I've never seen a magic show where everything doesn't just seem so easy, but I know there's so much work involved. Uh, rehearsing and planning, you talked about the zoo and, and the elephants, months of planning. That's not an exaggeration for professionals, is it?
1: Oh, not at all, no. And, and some of these illusions that we've done for many, many years um, require such um, skill and uh, precision. Timing is extremely important. Um, so you have to be in really, really good shape for what we do. Um, you know, you can't take anything for granted. There's one illusion that we do. It's the finale called Metamorphosis, and it's probably our signature illusion. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, but it happens in a nanosecond. No mm. no joke. It almost looks like trick photography that you're watching live. And I um, transform into my male assistant in just a snap. Oh. And so we've done that illusion thousands of times. Mm-hmm but the key with it is to never get complacent.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's so true with any I think really true performing art. You 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 do a Broadway show 52 weeks in a, in, a, in a row. I recently saw uh, Hugh Jackman as the Music Man and what I took away, and this was the middle of the run and what I took from it was great performer, wonderful, he can do it all, but he was having so much fun up there. And when I watched your videos on on your website and on YouTube, uh, it looks like you're having a blast.
1: I am. I really am. And that's should. what the
0: audience wants to know. They want to know you're having fun.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think um, if the day comes when you're phoning it in, that's yeah. when you need to hang up that phone.
0: Now, you withstood the onslaught of the pandemic, as we all did, and everyone had to be resilient in their own way if they wanted to survive. How did you get through it as a performer doing doing stuff that has to be seen by people in a, in a theater?
1: Mm. As a performer, it was incredibly difficult uh, to go almost two years without performing. It felt like, you know, my right arm was missing. So I did come up with the video of Your Vote is Magic because mm. I figured that would hopefully be something that would – uh, be very helpful to teachers, you know, doing um, their Zoom teaching and so forth, that, that they would be able to just send a link to their students and have them watch the video, and there they yeah. go, they could learn about voting. But other than that, um, you know, I just I just kept waiting until I could actually get out there and go into venues to perform again, um, and then uh, just it was so difficult logistically. To keep things going,
0: yeah, because you have a team of people that you are right. responsible for, and and as you told me earlier, they had to go out and work to survive.
1: Yes, yes. So now I have to, you know, do a little uh, navigating around their schedules, um, booking the big show that I do, and then in the meantime, I've been developing a solo show that gives me more flexibility to go into smaller venues to do, and that's what's kind of been keeping and perhaps me a, a little
0: less stuff to carry in by yourself. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, I don't I don't use my huge um, truck that's almost an 18-wheeler that wow. I have to transport my equipment. I put it all in a car.
0: Now, have you worked with elephants since the big one? Uh, have, do you get a chance to work with animals more often than not?
1: Well, there was one other time that I did a mind-reading feat with the elephants, which was a lot of fun. Both elephants love to paint.
0: I've seen those videos.
1: Right. So what I did was I came up with a prediction – that um, I made in advance of this event that we had of what the elephants would be painting on a big canvas. And then, you know, the crowd was there and the elephants came. and
0: I would be, my mouth would be open. I'm thinking about how cool that would be.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's always a dream. I have to pinch myself working with these animals. But I haven't done anything since. It's just um, logistically not possible. A couple
0: of additional things. I could talk to you all day, Lynn. uh, But Aspirations to do something on the more national television scale. I mean, I watch America's Got Talent. I love the show. And you see some of these people, and they're top flight, uh, and they don't make it beyond a certain level. But uh, are there other avenues that you're hoping to pursue that you'd like to dabble in?
1: Always. um, You know, I really would love to do a Broadway run. Mm. That's something on my bucket list. Um, and, you know, do some more television. I would love that.
0: That brings to mind a question. Uh, The problem with television for magic is that people sitting at home are thinking, it's television, so where's the magic? Now, I I say that being a big fan of Penn & Teller and so many of these uh, street guys I see on TV, and it it blows me away. But is that an issue? Because when I see somebody like you live, I'm really, wow, there's no camera tricks. I'm looking at it.
1: Right, right. Right. Oh, yeah. It definitely has its challenges. And, um, you know, these days it is more difficult, I think, to come up with a really um, captivating TV show just because of the nature of YouTube and and different things like that. Um, And people can get a little jaded, too.
0: Why do we need magic? We, the public, why do we need, and I know the answer to this, but why do we need people, sweet, beautiful, talented people like you? What does it do for I us? I
1: think that people need an escape, and I think that these days people are more hungry than ever to sit there in an audience and be entertained, just taken away to another place. It's a beautiful place.
0: That is a uh, an honor that you have, and a service you're you're providing a service more than just entertainment for an afternoon or evening. Um, and I say that to uh, people in the industry I'm in, you're, you're honored to give, be given this role. It's a very prestigious role to have. And I can tell just having met you and talked with you that you believe that firmly.
1: Oh, yeah. I am so blessed and honored to be doing what I'm doing, to be able to make a difference in people's lives and make a positive impact out there with my magic. I, I believe it's a gift.
0: Well, I, I, I know it's a gift, because I can't figure it out, and I don't want to figure it out. I want to be amazed. That's the that's the point. I'm a great audience. So when I come to see you, call on me. I'll do whatever you want. I'll disappear. I'll reappear. By the way, uh, let's give a shout out to the website Magic of Lynn, L-Y-N. One N.
1: One N. Yes.
0: That's, a, that's good. Your parents were smart. They knew that uh, you would stand out as a you know, uh, as a different kind of Lynn.
1: But if you look at it funny, Jordan, it looks like Magic O O'Flynn. <laughs> <Yes, laughs> but it's true. Magic of Lynn. <laughs>
0: magic L-Y-N dot com. And there are all kinds of things on the site. I've Testimonials and video clips and, of course, more about your nonprofit uh, public service campaigns. And needless to say, hey, if there's a gig out there and they want a great magician, a great illusionist, you're the lady.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So nice to meet you.
1: Same here, Jordan. Thank you.
0: Once again, go to magicoflyn.com, and Lynn is spelled with one N, magicoflyn, L-Y-N.com. She is amazing. Thanks to so many of you from so many countries around the world for listening, for downloading, subscribing, and those ratings and reviews really mean a lot. Also, thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media for his excellent work in publishing this and many other podcasts, Chart Productions, where we produce the show, And to find out more about me and all the things going on in my life, including my book, On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, simply visit my website, aptly named jordanrich.com. Hey, guys, till next time, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.